Hello again, everybody, to that Northeast Sound, your audio guide to all that's great about the Northeast of England. Um, I just want to start off by just giving a huge apology to everyone for not getting this podcast available online sooner. Um, but thanks to everyone who has given great feedback for the podcast so far. It does really mean a lot that there are people tuning into this. This week's guest is Greg Arundel. Uh, Greg is a long-time friend of mine, but I wanted him on the podcast to talk about growing up in the Northeast and how he is given back to his community via grassroots sports, namely his love for cricket. He has a vast amount of passion for the people and places of the Northeast. Plus, he's well, basically just a lovely bloke. So, without further ado, enjoy this week's Not That Northeast Sound with Greg Arundel. Thanks. Um. But, oh god, I feel like um, I feel like that chicken parmesan is. Uh, you know when you can just kind of feel it as a stone there. You need to set the scene. <laughs> my my so, glass of red wine isn't going down very well anymore for some reason. So yeah, so me and Greg have um, just before recording this have just noshed through uh, a, a fine meal from Devito's other takeaway restaurants <laughs> are available but um i think that's that's it's actually quite fitting that i've had a chicken parmesan because it, it is a a staple part of teaside and i guess the northeast cuisine and all that sort of stuff Absolutely. but um what was when you were growing up in sunderland what was what was your childhood food my childhood food, oh, that's a hard one because I was quite a bit, well, I was a bit of a, a party eater and a party is a bit of a, a northeast term as well, isn't it, I guess, um, yeah. where I was very um, picky around what I decided to eat. Uh, if I'm honest, the, the thing that really sticks out about my childhood, and this is this is going to sound really bad, and, and if my mum does listen to this, I do apologise, <laughs> um, but it's kind of later on in, in teen life when I... Um, when I was playing some sport, yeah, and I had a friend that used to come and pick me up um, in his uh, in his green Citroen Saxo to go. And I was only fifteen at the time, right? And I just remember being diabetic as well. I remember getting given by my mum, "You've got to have some food before you leave. If you've left school, you've got to go and play cricket. Yeah, um, you've got to have some food." So here you go. He's a microwaveable cheeseburger. <laughs> But honestly, that's that that's not a true a true representation. Um <clears throat> I don't know, I think uh, food there's there's also as as a child, as a as a as a young child, one thing that really sticks out is um egg in a cup. Yeah. And again, this is something else. If my dad listens to this he'd probably go, Oh yeah, egg in a cup. I I reduced it to that. Um being sort of three, four year old, going to visit my dad who lived in South Shields used to ask us what I want for my tea and apparently all I used to say was I'll have egg in a cup yeah. and essentially what egg in a cup is is just two boiled eggs um, or like sort of not fully boiled but like a not soft boiled a yeah, bit, yeah. Bit, bit, bit of a way in between still got a runny yolk <clears throat> not, uh, not oh. that runny not right. that runny um, red sauce right. with bread yeah. um, just mashed up in a, in a mug <laughs> Just, just as if you took a, a whisk, exactly. And I loved it. Apparently, I absolutely loved it. And to be fair, I, I, I'm a big fan of eggs, so that's that's the thing that really sticks out about my childhood: egg in a cup. But that's so. <clears throat> so the, basically, that's that's like the worst omelette ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. God knows where my dad got the recipe from, but uh, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he used to introduce me to egg in a cup, and I used to, I used to absolutely love it. I can I can sense it now, Delia Smith, kind of a shudder down her back at the at the concept of an egg in a cup. Yeah, exactly. So, what was it like living? Uh, what was it like growing up in in Sunderland in general? Sunderland. Um, yeah. Well, as you know, Aaron, I'm originally from South Shields, mm. um, and I moved to Sunderland uh, with my mum when I was three. Yeah. Um, so I've lived in Sunderland ever since, and as much as South Shields always been my Hometown, Sunderland's always a home from home. Really, I'm I'm brought up as a on the red and white half of the um of the side, if you if you like, yeah, um of the family, and um I cast myself as a bit of an honorary Macam. But if anyone ever said, "Are you a Macam or a Geordie?" I would always say, "Well, I'm a Macam." However, I'm a Sandancer sand because it's a bit of a bit of in between. Um, but what was it like? It, it, it was great. I mean, I, I had a great childhood. Um, the school I went to. 
at a Grangetown Primary School, and it's still there now. It was a it was a cracking school. I, I still remember it as clear as day. The the sort of class of size of thirty, and, and some of those people I'm still very good friends with today. Um, through some of the, the random games we used to play in the schoolyard, the the football we used to play on the on the school field, the sports days, um, and a lot of my life has has been kind of revolved around sport. Mm. Um, whether it's been from supporting Sunderland Football Club to um, doing sport and playing sport myself. I've always been very sporty. Um, and when I was young, especially kind of growing up, early 90s, from what I can remember, from the age of four in about 1990, yeah. it was all about getting outside, playing with your friends. So you used to come in from school at half, well, I finished school half three, you used to get in from school at four o'clock and by five past four, everybody was out in the street playing. Um and we'd be playing all sorts from hide and seek uh, to TIG through to um, from games of football, mm. cricket. There was just all sorts going on. It was always, We always found something to do. I remember where we used to live, um, the estate we used to live in Leachmere in, in Riot. We used to, at the top of the estate where we lived, we used to have a, a bike route, which we used to start, uh, and we used to start a race at the top of the estate and go right, literally belting around this and I think how dangerous it would be really when I look back on it because cars could have been coming up and yes it was in the estate it was at the top end of the estate where you couldn't get in any other end but hey it was just it was amazing you know um, and then from there really just growing up and, and moving into things like secondary school and mm. things like that it was, it was amazing I, I really enjoyed my, my childhood in Sunderland I really did so at what point <clears throat> when, when you were a kid at what point did Sunderland Football club kind of take its <clears throat> grip on you <laughs> at one point as a kid. Um, probably aged probably about fifteen days old. <laughs> wow. That's quite a grip. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the reason I'm saying that is, um, and I've still got this as well. I got bought a, a bib with a, a football and with it with not with football. Sorry, um, like a Sunderland football badge on with Sunderland's number one fan with um, yeah. with the old Sunderland badge on with a ship building and things like that on there. And uh, and I've still got a bit of the day, and that was bought by uh, my uncle Gary, and uh, he's a massive son of fam. Yeah, as was my grandpa, and uh, on my mum's side of the family, and and ever since then, I guess I was just brought up, and I was just literally born and bred Sunderland Football Club, and uh, I think my, my earliest recollection of Sunderland was um, kind of watching IDV on on a, even on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon, and. and I remember Sunderland in, in playing people like Grimsby in, on ITV and <laughs> it was on an afternoon as well. Yeah. And uh I, I still remember going to watch my first ever Sunderland game. Um I was it was my sixth birthday and I was I was I remember harping on to my grandpa to take me. My grandpa being a former season ticket holder and uh at Walker Park. And the the game was against uh, Watford. I remember it was clear as day, I remember the whole day. Um I remember picking me up, I remember going can I just say, yeah, of course. the very <clears throat> first game that I ever went to was at Watford was it really? against <laughs> against Portsmouth. Right, okay. That was, very, that, that, was that was my very first game bef- before I, you know, became became a Lily White. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, it was it was horrendous, and it was the first time I'd ever heard the F word as well. <laughs> it was yeah. crazy. I was I was seven. seven and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I I don't know what it was. It was just something that it was just a bug I caught and. I, I, like I said, I remember it was clear as day. I remember it was my birthday. My grandma wrote us a poem uh, about going to the match and stuff like that. And I opened That's brilliant. It and had tickets in there. It was amazing. We we beat Wofford 2-1 and uh, Martin Scott scored a penalty left hand, top left-hand corner. I remember having Bovril at half-time. I remember <laughs> sitting on the wooden seats in the clock stand, uh, singing songs, like Sunderland songs. It was just it was just amazing. I think from that moment, I, uh, that, that's my earliest memory of being a Sunderland fan. And, and ever since then, you know what I'm like now. I'm just a bit of a, a crazy, crazy man when it comes to Southern football. Oh, you're just, just a hooligan. <laughs> uh, so your your granddad wrote you a poem. <coughs> yeah. For your first game. Yeah, it was a it was a poem. It was a birthday poem. Yeah. Um, which I still got as well. Um, and it was about um picking me up and and at three o'clock we're going to watch the match and stuff like that. It was just it was it was amazing and uh, like you say, my grandma was just a legend in my eyes. He was an absolute legend and and he was the one who got me into well, he was the one who got me into Southern Football Club and, and that legacy's kinda of lasted through so But that shows as well <clears throat> that 
how important it was for him, for, for you to have a fantastic day and mm. to kind of enjoy it as an experience and to see all the kind of the positive things that you should get from a football game yeah. that should they should be the kind of things that overshadow the you know all of the kind of controversial things yeah. that get picked up by media sensationalism yeah you know it's romantic absolutely you know absolutely and i think in this day and age football fans in general tend to um get a bit of a bad reputation mm. um they tend to be branded as hooligans and that's just not the case at all i mean i i go to a lot of away games with Sunderland. <clears throat> um, I've done for probably the past four or five years. In fact, four or five years, actually, it's longer because I'm thinking of my age now. I've done it since about the age of 20-year-old, really, away games, but I've been a season ticket holder since uh, the stadium like, opened with a, with a little bit of a gap in between yeah. um, 17, ages 17 to 19 when I was when I was working on a Saturday. Um, and football fans get branded like that, but that whole experience of my very first game at Rocker Park, <clears throat> there was nothing... There was nothing like that. There was nothing that I can remember. And even now, going going to games now. I mean, walking through to to Newcastle and St James's Park, even a couple of months ago when when Sunderland won there, um, it can it become quite intimidating. Yeah. Walking through there and certain away grounds, it can be intimidating. But what I would say is that they're unfairly branded football fans in general, just by the media and by the press. Um, yeah. And being in the North East, we are, we're really like in a, in a hotbed of football up here. Yeah. Um, because there's only like the, the three clubs that are up here. Southern Newcastle being the main two. I, yeah. I don't really personally class Middlesbrough as a, as a close rival because we haven't played them for a few years, but yeah. they are in the North East, you know, mm. so um, they're, they're the three clubs. Whereas if you go somewhere like um, North West, you've got Manchester, the two Manchester teams, Liverpool, Bolton, Blackwood, Burnley. There's just Everton, so many Everton. Yeah. yeah, there's just so many different clubs around. And even when you go to London, and um, I think that's what makes the Northeast unique in terms of football is that there's just the three of us really. And yeah. Yes, you've got your Hartlepools, your, your Darlington's, but they've always tended to be lower league. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. North, Northern League now, but yeah. um, it, it's, it's a real hotbed of football and. The northeast in general is very unique for its its sport and um, prowess, not just in football but in everything else it does. Because because we're such a a unique area, we're kind of almost out on a limb from the with the rest of the country. I think some people think that we've been left behind with the times, but we're not. We we've we've had some amazing sportsmen, people like that, come from the northeast. Steve Cram, people like that, you know. Um, so where do you think where do you think the northeast gets its impression of being the underdog? Um, I don't. I don't really know to be honest with you. I think it, it. It's definitely got something to do with geography. Yeah. Um, the geographical location of of where we are, and you look to outside of the the, the northeast, and we'll talk about sort of football for a second. But it goes with anything. I mean, down cricket club. There's no other counties really other closer than Yorkshire. When when it, as you move closer south, a lot of those counties that play county cricket are, are clustered together. Mm. Um, but I, I guess we're almost out on a limb because once you get out of sort of Sunderland, Middlesbrough, Newcastle, you're going across as maybe as far as as far as Carlisle, mm. across that's it, or as Yorkshire and that Yorkshire border where you've got um, a lot of local sport and sport that, that kicks around there as well yeah um, so I definitely think it's a lot to do with geography so I think <clears throat> I guess one of the interesting things is that when you were saying before like your your ancestry very much comes from you know working in an industry mm. that was very hands on and sort of practical yeah. skills what was it that you wanted to be <coughs> when you were growing up what was what was kind <laughs> of I mean, it changes for a lot of people. Like every, I know when I yeah. was a kid, I wanted to be a Blue Peter presenter, <laughs> you know. And then, you know, obviously I've gone into teaching. But f- for you, what what was kind of the dream job? Uh, dream job. Well, school for me was I, I loved it. Do you yeah, know, I, I loved especially secondary school. Everybody um, I come in contact with, I just I just seem to get on with everyone, and people might not have like me or whatever but do you know what I, I really loved it and and it culminated in having a really good time in secondary school and the best time if you like you know when, you, when you're growing up carefree and I look back on it now I think to me 
go out of the house with a £10 your pocket on a Saturday and come back with £2 change. Yeah. I couldn't even walk down to, to fill the car up, you know, um, in this I, day and age. But I think, for you, I think it's excellent that you, you were fortunate enough that you had a secondary school experience like that. Yeah, because do, yeah. No, no. So, no but sorry, not. carry on. No, I'm just saying that you're right. Not a lot of people do. A lot of, a secondary school can be can be very um, difficult for a lot of people. Mm. And I was very fortunate in that sense that I got on with a lot of people. Um, and I would say that the, the lessons and things like that, that I did at school, the passions I had at school, um, things like English, drama, history, kind of all resonate with me. So in, in terms of a career, to, to get back to your question, um, I kind of tied all of that love for the likes of English drama, standing up, presenting, all the rest of it, um, history, with being a presenter, believe it or not. <laughs> my, my ideal job would have been a, to be a Sky Sports News presenter. Yeah, It, it would have been amazing. It would have took me um, places all over the world, potentially um, covering sports that I love. And that, that would have been ideal. Um, and I had that in mind when I finished my education at, at secondary school and I went into college, I studied things, media studies, business studies, things like that at college, psychology, a little bit of that stuff. Um, and all I really had in my mind was, I'd love to do that, but really deep down I know that I'm probably not going to get the opportunity to be a Sky Sports News presenter because yeah. the opportunities I'm going to come across. Yeah, plus you haven't worked for Man United. Well, so. that's it, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I don't know, I... That was that was my dream, and, and when I was at college, I um, I kind of looked at it objectively. And thought, well, you never know; it's a bit of a pipe dream, but you never know. Yeah. So I decided when I was at college to opt for a um, university course within media, um, and it was actually visual culture. It was the it was the course it was called it was at Northumbria, and I, and I got accepted on that course. Um, how I got accepted, I don't really know because I, I kind of. Uh, enjoyed myself when I was at college for two years. Um, I, I lived my university life at college for two years. But uh, I got into university um, at Northumbria and still had that vision, Sky Sports News presenter. And then all of a sudden I thought, do you know what, I don't really want to go to university I, I, straight away. I'll take a bit of a gap year. I, one of those where um, I've really enjoyed college. Um, I was in a relationship at the time. Thought you know I was just gonna take a gap year, see what that gap year brings. Um, and what did it bring you? <laughs> what did it bring me? Um, a very difficult conversation at first with uh, my mum and then dad and stuff like that. And, and that conversation somehow got around the fact that well, what you're gonna do with this time? Well, and I didn't really have a response prepared, if I'm honest with you. With that, it was a case of well, let's take a gap year, let's see what it brings. And I don't think that went down too well with with parents, but. They kind of back me, right? This is your choice. What what you're going to do in this gap year? And I looked at it and I thought, what else? What else is out there? What else can I do other than like this this bit of a pipe dream? And my dad's been involved in in the financial services for a long, long period of time. After formerly worked in the shipyards, he got into insurance and things like that. And it was something I always I was always interested in business, um, how we businesses work, marketing things like that, finance, banks. Um, so I thought, well. Do you know what? On this gap year, try and do something you like and love. Mm. Um, and what I did was I actually got a job um, coaching cricket for Durham Cricket Board. I played cricket for Durham as a junior and kind of kept in touch with a few people there. Um, got the opportunity to, to coach cricket in schools, which was great. And that coaching side of things really sort of um, give a new sort of string to the ball, if you like. That yeah. I, I really enjoyed going to schools and interacting with children groups from five or six kids through to 30 kids, you know, trying to keep control. It was, it was amazing. And being a 19-year-old at that point, um, 18 slash 19, it was really interesting and the dynamics. And I learned a lot from that period of time. It was only sort of on a on an afternoon I was doing it. Um, so I needed something to do with my mornings as well. And uh, I applied to go and work for um, a bank. Yeah. <laughs> and it's part of a, in a contact centre. Um, and I was successful in getting that job. Um, so I started working. So that, that was my life, really. Age 19, I was working in a bank and a contact centre on a morning um, and going to coach cricket in schools for doing cricket board on an afternoon um, around the sort of South Shields, Sunderland areas. And and that was it for that gap year. 
<laughs> that, that's all I had planned. I didn't really think much further. That all kind of happened in the the January time uh, of 2006 when I started at the bank and I started like doing that coaching in the schools. Um, and then I was all set to go back to university in September. And that was it, really. <laughs> so what what changed your mind in 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 not going to university in that September time? Because I think when you when you do something like that, I guess I, mine was very different because I, I went straight from college into university. Yeah. And I think the difference for my mum and dad was, oh, he's going to the university 250 miles away. I just yeah. thought that he was going to be on our doorstep somewhere. Yeah. And I, they, I, they didn't really anticipate me moving so far away from my hometown. Yeah. And within that first year, I I changed so much as a person, yeah. you know, leaving kind of forced education, as it were. Yeah. You know, what what changed for you within that year? Um, a lot changed, to be honest with you. Um, I, relationship status kind of changed, family, um, what kind of back me and what I was doing at the time and a lot, a lot was it was financial as well driven. If I'm honest with you, I, I was getting a lot of bringing a lot of money in. Yeah, <laughs> coaching cricket, people think, oh, with coaching cricket, you must be getting much money. But it was, it was good money from what I was doing, especially the age of nineteen, and and what I was doing at the bank on the on the in the contact centre on the phones, being a bit of a personal banker, that was it was paying good money as well. So, I guess it got halfway through that year when it when it come to sort of July August time, um, haven't been doing what I was doing for six months. Yeah. Um. When I started having to think, see, well, actually, in a month's time, September time, you're going to have to be getting back into university and going back to Northumbria and, and whatever, and getting back into education. And that time I spent away from education, I do feel genuinely that I learnt a lot about um, what it was like to be, to be in the real world. I started having to pay things like board, yeah, you know, um, at home. Um, I pay start paying bills like things like mobile phone bills for myself. Yeah, but I was going out ultimately, and I was enjoying myself. Um, the nightlife was fantastic at, at that time. Yeah, in Sunderland it was amazing. There was there was some quality <laughs> nightclubs. Beach, you know, being a oh man, Sunderland University Beach and places like that. It was, Sambuca it was gas chambers. Wow. <laughs> oh my oh, god. Well, yeah, Sambu- flaming Sambucas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You had flatliners. I think they were in beach as well. The to, oh, oh, all sorts. Just brain hemorrhages. Yeah. And <laughs> but, but the thing is, that was all before. You think we were able to get by on, you know, just that sort of thing. We didn't need Jager bombs back then. Yeah, we? That's it. We didn't. Jager bombs were a thing of the future at that point. But you see, you go out with 20 quid yeah. on a Thursday night and go to the beach and you could yeah. have 70 pence bottles of Chase. Uh, <laughs> is it, was it Red Pig? Yeah, I think it was yeah, Red, Red Pig as well. Pig. Yeah. 70 pence. And to be fair, for seven quid, you could be fairly oiled, well oiled. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. So, no, it's, it's good. Good I, I, oh God, I remember Nights in Beach. Well, try to remember Nights in Beach. And just, I think what it was is when, when I first came to Sunderland, Beach, Beach had, because before I, <laughs> before I turned, before I turned 18, I never got into any nightclubs or bars <laughs> because I was so baby-faced. <laughs> so I remember trying to go in with my mates who, you know, all had moustaches <laughs> and that kind of thing and stubble. And me sort of being so kind of clean-faced, you know, sort of walking up with them and then yeah. massive bounces going, no, you're not coming in. <laughs> and, you know, and then when I came on Sunderland and I was 18 and being able to go out and like beach was an absolute revelation <laughs> you know Amazing. it was it was fantastic Amazing i mean place. now it's just a it's a cooper rose yeah, it's it's the, like the spoons, isn't it? Yeah, basically yeah I, you know I, I mean i look at that like you know how sunland town center is, is a night out has changed in the past 10 years yeah to be honest with you i very very rarely venture out now um do you think that's an age thing do you think that's because you've got well, other responsibilities and because you've you know, you've got a fiance and yeah, there's a number of things that like you say, fiance getting married, house now, mm. um, financially better than I ever have been, but I, I'd rather spend it on other things rather than going out and, and chucking 150 quid down the drain. That's some nice. Do you, Do you know think that's the main thing? You, you, you look at kind of the financial impact yeah. that it would have having a night out like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at what else I could be doing with that, that type of money. Yeah. You know, like buy some for the house, buy some to play cricket with or, yeah. um, go on an away day. And that's, that, to be honest with you, a lot of my nights away now are going to watch some football club away from home. Yeah. Um, 
but I'd go away with friends. We'd go for a night out beforehand, maybe or a night out after the game, bite to eat. Even like when I'm at home, it, I'd rather think, well, okay, so would I want to go into Sunderland just to have a good night? I've got to get myself into a bit of a non-compassmented state. And I'm not talking about like rolling around alleyways and things like that, like you see some people in, in some states who are binge drinking. I'm yeah. talking about just having a good drink to, to kind of make yourself have a great night. And I know people say it's not about how much you drink, it's about people you're with, and I, and I fully agree with that. Yeah. But a lot has to do with your surroundings as well. And I, yeah. I look at how I used to how I used to enjoy Sunderland and what it used to genuinely be like. And, I, and I've put a couple of Facebook statuses on over the past few years and I've said, you know, it's, it's a real shame that my sister's 18, she's going out in Sunderland now and she would never experience the type of nights I had mm. when I was 18. You know, you could go out on a Wednesday, you could go to Manakee. Thursday, you could go to the beach. <laughs> Friday was golden. Holy night, who yeah. knows, you could go wherever. Chase, to wow. example. Yeah. Saturday night, you could go and have a bit of a sophisticated night. Sunday, it'd be back. Do you know, you, you could go out any night of yeah. the week and it'd be a decent night. Yeah. And, I, and I think back and I think myself, I think, hold on, is that just because I was that age? Yeah. But the more people I speak to who were around about that age or just a little bit older, because I've got a lot of friends who are just a bit older, we were all of the same opinion. Sunderland was genuinely a really good night out at that point. Yeah. Um, it went through a it stage was. of about four or five years where it was it was excellent. Mm. And for whatever reason that might be, and to be fair, it's probably economic reasons, um, it's it hasn't. People would rather stay in the house now or 10, 11 o'clock, have a few drinks in the house, then go out. Whereas you could bet your bottom dollar on a Thursday night, come half seven, you'd either be in uh, Weatherspoons or Barmy. Or yeah. Modo or somewhere like that in Sunderland. Yeah. I'm reading all these names off because because it was such good times, do yeah. you know. Um, and that that's the big difference now. I think now people are a little bit more conscious around how much they're spending when they're out. And and in Sunderland, there's not that many places to to go and spend very very little mm. um, as you you would have got back in those days. Well, you think back when we were eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old. You know, Weymouth Bar, for example, mm. which was in the old city campus at, at Sunderland Juni. Mm-hmm. You know, you could go in there and you could get a pint of Budweiser on draft for a pound twenty. You know, and and nowadays, you know, you you spend sort of two pound ninety three pounds on some Fosters. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's it's. But something that you mentioned just before, which I thought was really interesting. Do you prefer being a home fan or an away fan? Oh, that's a good question. Because um, I can imagine they're, they're two very different experiences. Totally different experiences. Um, I, 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 I am a 50-50 split with it, if I'm honest with yeah. you. Because as a home fan, the, the, the match day experience as a home fan, it consists of going out with a group of friends, close mm. mates, big best friends, who um, we all go to a certain bar, we have a drink, we might have a bite to eat, we might play some pool. Um gets to about half two, we all leave that bar, we all walk across the bridge and we go to the stadium night and watch the game, we all mm. meet up afterwards, we all go home or we all go off another pint and, yeah. or we stay, and then we subsequently stay out all night. When you're away from home, um, you've got everything that is mixed in with that. So you've got your travel and the AM or even possibly the night before. Um, you then drive to wherever you're driving or you get the train to wherever you go and you've got that camaraderie, you've got that banter flowing straight away whereas that banter, that camaraderie probably doesn't start till say one o'clock on a home game uh, half twelve, one o'clock but away from home you, you're with that from the off like first thing sometimes seven o'clock in the morning you're on a train going to London, do you, think London that's because it, do you think that's because it feels more like an adventure? Yeah, yeah, it's an adventure. It really is. Uh, you, you go to London for a London away day, and it's a, it's a full day out. You're out of the house. You're on the train for seven o'clock in the morning. You get mm. the last train out of King's Cross, and everything that happens in between, it, it feels like it's like a mini holiday. And yeah. I would, like I say, I would rather spend money on that rather than going on a on a big night out. And that's just the stage I'm at in life now, I guess. Yeah, I sound really old, don't I? That's, that's not good. <laughs> <clears throat> not as old as me, mate. But... <laughs> I think it's one of those things where you 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 kind of just have to let go of the fact that you get older. Yeah, you, do. you know. You and do. I mean, I I turned thirty in October, and <laughs> I'm happy about being a thirty year old man. You know, and I have a wife, and you know, we we have savings and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> things that I didn't have when I was a student. Exactly, you know, exactly. 
But I think <clears throat> I have a lot less hair, by the way. <laughs> hey, it's not it's not all good this going on, Malaki. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, but you've had the same haircut for the last five years, though. That's the thing. Yeah, well, so at least it's stopped. I'm the last two. <laughs> it used to be a little bit longer, like sort of three, four years ago. It's all the messing about with it with it when I was younger. That's, that's why. Never mind. <laughs> but I think as well, it. I I say this to my students at school, you know, um, especially those that are at sixth form. Yeah. I'll say to them, I I bet that. When, as as seventeen and eighteen year olds, like when they're in year thirteen, mm-hmm. your a bit how your journey has gone over the last two years as sixth form students is completely different to what you anticipated it being when you were sixteen. Exactly, jumping from year eleven into year twelve. Yeah, and I think you grow so much in that time as a person and as an individual yeah. that you end up finding yourself, you know not realising that your your path is, is changing and often in a lot of ways changing for the better. Mm-hmm. So for you, at what point was it when you realised that Sky Sports punditry was punditry was no longer gonna be the the reality? Um and how did you feel about that? It's a it's a really good question. I guess it's coming it was probably it was probably before I even got really into the second year of college. Um, there was different things happening in my life at that time whereby I probably wasn't fully focused in, mm. in that college environment, in a learning environment as I should have been. Um, I wasn't really bothered about attending all the time, if I'm honest. I mean, it, and this is what one thing that really frustrated me at the time was the fact that I wasn't turning up for every single lesson at college. Um, oh, okay. I'd rather go and... <laughs> I'd rather go... Um, and have a pub lunch or rather go home and have a bit of a nap you know things like that you just sound me. like you actually had your university <laughs> life during exactly. college yeah, didn't I, you I think, yeah. I think that's what it was I lived my, lived my university life through college but um, I was going to say that yeah yeah, yeah. so like, had that had that that kind of life where I didn't do it and what frustrated my mum was I was turning up and I was still getting good grades and exams and she used to say it was Greg what frustrates the living daylights out of me is that you'll get people like her herself yeah. who used to um, work the backside off really yeah. revise and things like that to, to get good grades yeah. and then it was just me who just rock up and, and not blag it but obviously yeah. I, I knew what I was talking about but without really attending any I, I, I just want you to know that I, I hate people like yeah. you so. <laughs> well, so, so is my sister as well Bethany she uh, she's she's just gone through her levels and she's in her first year of university now and she really does work her socks oh where's she studying she's studying in Northumbria oh fantastic yeah, what's she doing in, she's in a business school she's doing uh, business and entrepreneurial stuff oh right? excellent so oh, again excellent. something similar that mm. as to what I was doing at college business studies things like that I really enjoyed that and She's got the same type of head on. Um, Quite driven. Very driven, mm. but she's got a bit of focus, whereas at the time, at that age, I didn't have that focus, I guess. Do you get the feeling that she learned from your mistakes? Um, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. She might She might have done. She was, she was quite young at the time. I mean, there's a 10-year gap between yeah. us. But, um, she, might, she might have. I, I don't know. I guess that would be a question you have to ask her. <laughs> <laughs> Next podcast. No, exactly. <laughs> so... Where where do you think? Because you you even despite your kind of college years where you you felt like you lost focus, mm. you still that that air of drive and determination. Where do you think that comes from within your family? Very good question. I, I don't know because I, I don't find that's a thing that you're you're naturally given. I think that that comes from yeah f- family culture a lot of the time. Hard work, I think my family is, is very much a hard work and grafting family. Mm. Um, throughout the family, we've got, like, if I look directly, my parents, my mum used to work. Um, all I was going to say is the council, like freehand typers, things like that. She, she, she worked hard at what she did. My dad was a grafter down shipyards before he moved into the insurance game. If I look to grandparents, you know, like, my grandpa was at the same place um, for 25 years uh, in refrigeration. Previous to that, was in the RAF. Mm. Um, my granddad on the other side, again, was was, was involved in uh, that down at, at, at West Door, painting, decorating, things like that. So, Gran worked in retail. Um, grandma worked for um, 
Rolls Royce, things like that, in, in factories, you know, in the tune sector. Yeah. And the, I think just come from a, a long line, and, and we could go on rather than family trees, just probably a long line, and, and it comes back to Northeast culture. Yeah. If you ask that question to probably the majority of my friends, you'd all, you'd all come up with the same answer. Families and the way the Northeast was, and, and still is, to be honest with you, there are they're a hard working breed, if I'm honest with you. Mm. They go out and people have to graft. And yes, there are people who don't bother grafting and they'd rather go down the boogies and whatever. But Yeah, but that's not exclusive to the North East, no, though, not. is it? I no, think, it's you not. Know, it's I, I think that is. It's, it's funny how since the closing of ship shipyards, the closing of shipyards, the closing of um, the mines, that that is suddenly the the first impression that people get of yeah. the northeast and i think that's a massive shame because yeah. you know so much of what makes the uk's identity you know big parts of that come from traditions that were originally born from the northeast yeah you know but i think it's one of those things where you have to say to yourself you know whatever you can do to contribute to the northeast culture will gradually encourage people from the rest of the UK to shift their perception of what the northeast represents. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I mean, Aaron, you, you know me. The, the job I'm doing, I'm still at the same place. I'm, I'm still yeah. at the bank. Eight years into my career, my career has developed somewhat. Um, I'm still involved in a, in a learning and development environment. So, getting into it at the age of twenty, nearly twenty eight. I'm still involved with learning development, um, mm. albeit I'm not a, a training consultant anymore. I'm more of a design consultancy, but I'm designing and learning and still getting the opportunity to interact with learners yeah. um, through different sort of guys. But having that travelling behind me, so going to the likes of Liverpool regularly, Manchester regularly, um, Leeds regularly, yeah. London, especially in the last year, going to London every week, it's really given me open my eyes, give me the opportunity to see what other people's views are in the North East. And do you know what? You're right in the sense that people don't always have the best view. And I don't really know why that is, to be honest with you. It's, it, there's different places in the UK where you've got that perception. Um, so, for example, um, Liverpool. Like, before I worked in Liverpool, if you'd asked me a question about Liverpool, um, my perception was... Um, Scouters, do you know? Yeah. Like, there's, there's there's a few there's a few things that I could, I could talk about, but going to work there to work with those people, they are, they are one of a kind of people. They're, they're amazing people. They are genuinely the closest what I've experienced in my time of going around the UK working and 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 socialising, um, and whatever weird games. Um, those are the closest people to the northeast, and in the same type of mm. like the same got the same values, same core values. You know. Yeah. Um. That, and that kind of that ideology, yeah, 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 and, and, and it's those the values that make you the person that you are. And what really frustrates me is that when you, you speak to somebody, um, and they say, oh, where, whereabouts are you from? Are you from the northeast? Are you from Newcastle? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm from South Shields. Yeah, where's South Shields? Well, close to Sunderland and Newcastle's in between. Sunderland, oh, yeah, so do you live in Sunderland? Yeah, yeah, but actually, automatically, so when you go abroad to Europe, you're sitting on the pool, I don't know, somewhere like. Spain or wherever, or you go down to Egypt, or you know, like they ask you the question, "Are you from Newcastle?" And, and people just think, "Well, the northeast revolves around Newcastle," and that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Don't get me wrong; I like Newcastle as a place. I think it's a fantastic city. It's got lots to do. Don't like the football team. That's a different conversation. <laughs> However, um, it's a bigger place. You know, the northeast is is, is massive. It's huge. It's mm. not just Newcastle. There's Sunderland. There's Middlesbrough. There's Durham, which is one of the most beautiful cities in the UK. Yet, if you ask someone what their perception of the North East was, it might not necessarily be a, a really positive one. And it's, it's hard to put my finger on why that is, if I'm honest. I I think media plays a massive part of that, Possibly. unfortunately. Um, you know, I think... <laughs> I, I did this as, a, as an introduction to the first podcast that I did with with Rachel Kershaw and my introduction was why I started the podcast and you know I wanted to help people well not help people I wanted to give a representation of the North East that was away from the likes of Geordie Shaw yeah. and from what what 
kind of photo gallery or photo slide the Daily Mail has conjured up of drunken people around Big Market, yeah, yeah. you know, and all that kind of thing. And I think, you know, there's so many people out there that contribute positive things, you know, and not just kind of constantly add into this dingy stereotype that we yeah. that that there is of the North East. And I mean, I guess you know what you do in regards to your in regards to your cricket club for example yeah. with with little town and you know where you've kind of started that from almost nothing well i mean well started it from a kind of a, a shell of what was there how many years ago seven years ago seven years ago i mean what so what's that like being able to bring something kind of back from the dead like that that for me, um, little town. Wow, the little town revolution. I, I mean, I could, I could talk for hours and hours around what we've done and, and what we've achieved. And for me, not just talking about little town, but in general, grassroots sports in yeah. the northeast is is massive. It, it's huge. We've produced some of the greatest footballers that have been, that's ever seen, some of the greatest athletes they've ever seen. Yeah, cricketers, rugby players. You know, we we've just done the works. We we are. We are very proud of our sport and culture up here and sport and heritage. Yeah. Um, and grassroots sports plays a big part in that. And I think grassroots sports, not just in the, in the North East, but across the UK, um, doesn't get enough airtime. It's very much the glamorised, multi-million pound Premier League players who are always making the papers and stuff like that. Whereas there's genuinely a lot of good stuff going on mm. at, at grassroots and a lot of stuff which genuinely genuine sports fans would like to read about. So what are the grassroots that you've planted? So, yeah, <laughs> grassroots. I mean, I, I, I've i played cricket, I've played football, grassroots, you know, I've, I've done all sorts of things at school, basketball, things like that. But cricket's been something which has, has always been close to my heart. Um, and I got involved with it sort of from the age of four or five. My stepdad played uh, Mars and Cricket Club at South Shields. Um, and... It kind of really went from there. My grandpa, again, who we talked about earlier on, he, he was a big cricket fan. Um, and I don't know, when I got involved with cricket, I kind of had a little bit of a, a passion for it and I, I kind of got fairly decent at it <laughs> in a short space of time, you know. And as a junior, I kind of... Uh, I did a lot of playing of the game. I did a lot of coaching. I did... I, I played for Durham Juniors, sort of Durham County Cricket Club Juniors at different parts of the UK you know and give me a little bit of insight and cricket's a different game altogether to football it's very much a social game you it's a type of game where you get a lot of camaraderie you spend six hours with somebody on a Saturday afternoon or some Sunday afternoon over the course of five months of the year mm. and you get to know these people really well and I've got genuinely genuinely great friends who some some friends who I, I've never even actually played the same side as but they're still very very good friends you know um and that goes a long way when it comes to cricket, especially local cricket. And I, I played um, at a club uh, for a couple of seasons, um, which I really enjoyed um, before I joined Little Town, this is. But towards the end of it, I was sort of 25, and I just thought to myself, do you know what, Craig? You've played cricket for this long. You've never had a break from it since sort of being eight, nine year old. It's been your life through five months a year in the summer you're not enjoying it anymore. And I kind of got that in my head. I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't, I fell out of love with the game that I loved, you know, and... Um, where, where did that stem from? A few things, really. I think different things were happening in life. Uh, met Rachel. Um, I kind of, my, my priorities started to change a little bit. I wanted to go more to football with friends because the cricket season and football season overlapped. Holidays, uh, there was weddings, there was stag do's going on, things like that. And I just kind of thought... Do you know what? Maybe it's time for you just to take a step back. Maybe it's time for you to take a bit of a break from it. Um, and I did that a couple of years ago. I did that. I stopped playing um, for Bill Key. And a couple of weeks into the season, I thought, oh, I see the play, I see the games starting to play. And I got a phone call from a, from a friend who said, look, we know you're not playing. Can you, can you come play for us on in a Sunday league? And it was a bit of a low standard than what I've played in the past. So I thought, well, do you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll turn out. And, and I turned up and I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't love it, but I enjoyed it. Um, people might say, oh yeah, big fish, little pond type of thing. But no, it wasn't like that. It was just a game of cricket for me. I played about seven or eight games that year. 
but the group of guys I got involved with playing for this particular team um, had found out about this little critical club called Little Town. And Little Town had, uh, had folded seven years ago. Um, and what happened was, well, it would been six years ago at the time, but seven years ago now. Um, and what happened was they'd, they'd gone to the ground, they'd seen this overgrown mess, and it literally was up to knee height. Um, there was a pavilion which was run down, looked like it was about to fall down, um, had left, been left to rack and ruin, and it had been a beautiful place to be. You could see that. As soon as you walk into the ground, you could see it. And the minute I went there, I kind of looked at this place, I thought, wow, there's something special here. There's some, something can be done to this place to bring it back to its former glory. Was it a field of dreams moment? It was a field of dreams moment. Where did you get that well, from? Obviously you see my tweet today, haven't you? <laughs> no, no, no. No, it, it, just, it just felt very... Um, yeah, I can imagine that, obviously, without the ghosts. Of yeah. course, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. But do you know what? You, you go there and it was almost like... <laughs> I'm in a bit of a changing rooms head on, do you know, you see, used to see changing rooms at Alan Titchmarches. Yeah. And got garden force. Like ground, ground, ground force. force. Ground force, yeah, ground yeah, force. yeah. And you, you see potential in something. And the minute I walked in that ground, or drove into the, the open space that used to be a ground with, with grass up in my knees, I saw potential. And there was already guys there. There was already about six or seven guys there working, working the backside off in that ground. I thought, you know what, these, these guys are committed to this. They're really loving it. They're really enjoying it. And initially, when I had the conversation with them, it was the guys that I'd, I'd, I'd kind of got to know through the other critic club. And um, they'd turn around to me and said, look, will you, give, will you give us a hand in a few things? You know, like, like help us set up a couple of things, whatever. And I went away from it thinking, yeah, I'll do that. And I slept on it. And, and I woke up the next day and I thought, do you know what? I see so much potential in that place from a learning and development perspective. And how do I learn and develop? Mm-hmm. I, I thought... The stuff, I, the value I could add to that place through the contacts I had through Durham Cricket Board from used to coaching with them um, to um, the, the business type of contacts that I had, I could really like kind of come on board and, and give them a, a good hand. So I sat down and I did have the opportunity to go and play for another club, just first team, yeah. um, at, 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 again at a high level. And I decided against that. I said, no, I'll, I'll drop down. And again, it wasn't a case of being big fish little pond. It was a case of seeing something with potential that we could do a bit of a... But uh, an AFC Wimbledon, if you like, you know, coming back from the dead, like trying to start at the bottom but work our way up. And I, it was up to me to kind of say to these guys, well, I'm going to come on board, but let's do it. Let's do it properly. Let's do it on a big scale. Let's start small yeah. now. Let's get us. Let's get the foundations in place. Let's have a five-year development plan. Let's develop this club into something that can really be and it can be really be special. Yeah. And I was just trying to sell that dream to them. And yeah, there was a, there was a, there was a few of them that were a little bit. Over on the side of caution at first, because I was thinking big dreams, you know. I was thinking new pavilions. I was thinking side screens, covers, things like that. You know, yeah. Thing, things that were just a pipe dream at the time. You know, yeah. we're talking sort of June two thousand. You were you were step eleven on the twelve step plan. So yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and step one hadn't been even been implemented. Yeah. So I um I I got to the the point where I I just got so much enthusiasm for it um and it really invigorated reinvigorated shall we say my love for the game um, off the field and I think that was that was half the battle because on the field I wasn't really in the best form I had a couple of struggled a couple of seasons and off the field I wasn't really bothered about cricket I was just turning up and going through the motions whereas off the field now at this this point in time I was really invigorated I was, I was enthused I was energised and I've I got these these other guys that were in and around us um, feeling the same and joining that team of people mm. um having that buzz around us was the best thing um, I could have done because we went from strength to strength. We spent a full winter while Rachel was watching Coronation Street or whatever on the telly. I was on the iPad or the laptop looking at grant applications, this, that, and the other. And I always remember the first meeting we went to at the Ramside Hall um, Hotel. And we went to the, this meeting and there's around about 25 people turned up. And I'd said I'd, I'd throw my full weight behind it, I'll commit, I'll come in, I'll be first team captain or whatever, I'll try and get some players in, whatever you, sell the dream to other people. And there was a guy there who used to play for Little Town, um, and he, he was quite negative, to be honest. He, he, was, he was very much, can't be done. What, you, what you're saying here about raising this grant and doing that, it, it just can't be done. It's just a small village club. Do you think his pessimism came from the fact that he had seen little town fold in the first place absolutely absolutely he'd been there for the good times when they'd had a few 
couple of good, pretty successful sides and stuff, you know. Um, and I think he was upset the fact that it had gone in the first place, you know. Yeah. Um, after a hundred odd years. Yeah. And I think that's 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 an understandable bitterness. Yeah. You can understand that. Yeah, I can't. But you, I guess you can't, you can't get your head around if someone turned around to you and said. You know, something that you were once passionate about that once died is going to be resurrected from that. You would chew their arm off. Yeah. So I guess that aspect of it at the meeting at Ramside Hall, when he kind of expressed that pessimism, must have. Yeah. It must have, against your, <laughs> you know, against your optimism and everything, yeah. must it must have felt like a clash. Yeah, it, it was absolutely a clash. Um, I mean, it, even this team of people that I work with and you know, we work together. Like bring back Little Town. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that if you ask them now, they'd tell you some of the things I said at the time. You'd be thinking, what, "What's this guy on? You know, what? what <laughs> give me something. What he's on because that that is a bit extravagant. That is stretching it a bit too far in a mm. short space of time." But there was just something that there was just this kind of desire and passion in a couple of us that really took it by the bull by its horns, and we went out there and we worked our socks off like long nights over the winters the four of us on PCs and laptops and the, the team of us as a whole were just so good in terms of setup because there was the guys that did the manual stuff that were out there on the ground trying to bring that up with decent standards bear in mind this is a field that hadn't been used for seven years overgrown horrible weeds grass you know then there was us that on the other side trying to raise money profile all the rest of it marketing and stuff and and it, we kind of got the stage where we were trying to, and I was going out, I was talking to guys, other cricketers who I played with a long time, um, who I was trying to sell this dream to. Mm. Some I did, some I didn't. But I, mean, I remember having a conversation with one guy who was a bit of a stalwart at his cricket club, um, never expect him to leave. But I had a conversation with my phone room, I said, Andrew, um, to Greg, you did a little bit of a chat with you about Little Town. He put the phone down and walked away and he came back and, he, and we had a bit of a meeting after that and he said, do you know what? What really made me stand up and listen about this is the fact that, hold on, it might be a lower standard of what Greg's involved in this and he sounds very, very energetic. I know what Greg's like as a guy. He wants to make this work. He wouldn't have gone down there if he didn't think it could work. He could have just gone anywhere and, and, mm. and, and another team and played first team cricket and not even thought about it. And it kind of become a bit of a passion, a hobby and and that guy didn't end up signing for the club, but others did. And we got the men on board and we got that camaraderie, that enthusiasm, that team spirit, that that just kind of drove us through. We had people down the ground doing work on the ground, teams of people working the backsides off to, to bring that ground up a standard. Um, and don't get me wrong, it's not Lords. It's, n- it's never going to be Lords. But what we've done in a short short space of time 18 months I mean we've raised over £50,000 worth of grants in 18 months we have achieved and we have managed that's, that's fantastic well, yeah and what we've achieved in 18 months is, yeah. is, is, is nothing short of phenomenal we've we've gone from having nothing to mm. having three senior teams uh, last year as in 2013 with over 50 players signed on yeah. this year we've gone for a fourth team which is going to play midweek and we've managed to launch a junior section in between We've got plans to, for a new pavilion. We've got plans for new um, nets, which we've got £12,000 towards. Do you know, there's all these different things. And we're in the community. We've got volunteer stra- volunteer strategies. We've got people going on coaching awards, things like that. And we really want to be a community hub because Little Town is a village in between Sherburn and Pittingdon, just outside of Durham. Yeah. hasn't really got anything around it. The community that's there is a small community but actually, there's a lot of potential there. Pittington and Sherbourne are both big villages that flank at either side. Pittington, uh, sorry, Little Town itself is quite small, but there's a lot of people there. And we want to really, really want to be a community hub. It's not just about playing cricket there. It's about bringing something back to the community. It's a village that has had a church, a chapel, sorry, that's gone. It's had a pub that's gone now. There's nothing else there. Pittington, like the village hall, um, is under risk. But where, whereas... We want to bring something to the community that's thriving, not just to have kids coming and playing cricket, but if we get a new pavilion, we want to have um, the local WI, Women's Institute, and mm. the scouts meetings there, the ramblers come in and start their ramble from there. You, this is the type of thing we want, and I see the opportunity to make a real difference through a cricket club, through something I love. Um, and we've gone from strength to strength. We had a really successful season on the on the field last year. Um 
and we've carried it on during the winter. Mm. And people think, you know, I've had people turn on and say, which is just ridiculous, by the way, they've got a benefactor. Well, no, we haven't got a benefactor. We haven't got anybody who ploughs money into this club. Mm. Nobody gets paid. No. Nobody will get paid. We are all volunteers, essentially. And what we do is we go out there and we work our socks off on a night time, right at the winter, pulling together grant applications, you know, getting mm. in touch with local area action partnerships, councils, things like that. We have meetings left, right and centre right throughout the winter when all these other critic clubs might just be thinking, oh, it's the winter. You know, the critic season is here. Let's just forget about that. But we're doing all this stuff behind the scenes and that's what people don't get to see. But that's what being part of grassroots sports all about as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I've been now, I've been involved on the other side of the coin where I've just used to turn up last weekend in April, everything at the ground was done for us. I'd play cricket, I'd go home at the end after a couple of beers. That's it. Great. Yeah. But actually now I've sat on the other side of the fence. I know what work goes into running a club mm. but the type of club we've got the characters we've got that involve a little town critic club not from just the first team not the second team or the third team but everybody the males the females that's involved with the club yeah the, everybody from the age of 60 odd right the way down to the ages of 5 and 6 mm. we have got probably 85 90 members now um, not all play members obviously but mm. That all these people are all kind of want the same thing, and it, yeah. And at the cricket clubs I've played at and against in the past, I haven't really seen that. And it's a good news story. People like reading about, it, people like hearing about it. But it's the passion and the desire of the players and the club members that make us stand out from the rest. And that's what grassroots sports all about for me. And in the northeast, it's that passion and desire that oh, that'll see us through. And you will know that with being involved in athletics and the yeah. social how it is. I know I've got family members who run for things like the Sunderland Strollers and things like that, and it's not just about going out for a run on a Wednesday night. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's about everything that comes part and parcel of it, and that's something that it, up here again in the northeast I think is 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 ingrained in culture. I've got friends who play Sunday league football. What do you do when you play Sunday league football? You turn up, you play football, you don't go home. Everyone goes to the pub for a pint. Do you know what? That's just the type of thing. That's that's the type of area we are. It's a type of Makeup we are, and that's not just sun, by the way, either. It's, it's the northeast in general. And as far and wide as you go, whether you go as far as Durham, through to Newcastle, up right up the coast, you know, mm. Anikway, you've always got that sense of, I'm proud to be here, I'm proud to be involved with whatever I'm involved with. And that sense of pride is, is something unique, and it, it's, it's hard to get anywhere else, I think, from my perspective, anyway. I always ask. Two last questions yep. with everyone that I speak to yep. on that Northeast sound. And so the first question is, what sound to you defines the Northeast? <laughs> defines the Northeast. Um, the first thing that springs to mind, um, and I know I'm just going to say it again, it's, it's something to do with Sunday Football Club. It's it's that match day sound of everybody in the stadium and I singing a song and celebrating a goal that, that 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 for me is all about me my passion my involvement red and white army all that but from take a step away from my sport and all the rest of it and thinking about my my inner values my family values um the one thing that really sticks out and it probably came to us if I'm honest with you before the the, the Sunderland roar if you like was the sound of, of South Shields and that South Shields is my hometown and what I mean the sound of South Shields is when you you walk into the Marine Park in South Shields and you hear the you know you hear the sea, you can mm-hmm. hear the ducks in the park, <laughs> you can hear um the seagulls going berserk. Yeah, yeah and they're the ducks. bloody massive they are as well. Huge. You the can monsters. hear the fair ba- the fairground in the background. But it's that one little sound with all of this stuff like mixed in. It's the train going. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> that was so the tiny little spot. train exactly. that goes around the pond. Exactly, and yeah. that there, you, you know, when you're sitting there, regardless, or standing there, or walking down, regardless of whether it's minus five in a winter and the, and the lakes frozen over, through to twenty five degrees in the summer, you know that you're home. You know that you're in Shields. You know that you're you're five minutes away from where your parents grew up. You know, and, and that that's it for me. And my final question. Okay. Who for the podcast should we speak to next? Who to you would give us a great a great set of stories and has got has led an an interesting life as a as a northeastern person? Yeah. 
to be honest, there's hundreds of people I would, I would probably think of. The one that comes straight to mind is a, is a close friend of mine, um, and his name's Luke Evans. And the reason I'm, I'm going to mention him is is because he's led an interesting life. He's led a life that I would love to have led uh, for a period of time in being a professional sportsman mm. um, from the northeast. Growing up in the northeast, he um, moved away. Uh, I'm not going to tell you too much more, but the things that he's done in terms of his career um, and where he's at now currently, living away from the North East, to look back, I think he'd be a very, very interesting character for you to speak to, definitely. Brilliant. He's a great guy as well. Um, Greg Arundel, that was your North East sound. Thank you very much. Cheers.